passage, but I want to backtrack and set the stage for tonight. John chapter 18, verse, they led Jesus from Caiaphas, who was the high priest, to the praetorium, which is the palace of the Roman governor, and it was early morning. But they themselves did not go into the praetorium, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. And Pilate went out to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to Pilate, if he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. Then Pilate said to them, you take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore the Jews said to him, it is not lawful or legal for us to put anyone to death. The Jews were not permitted in their own legal system to, uh, to uh, administer capital punishment. That was something that the Romans only were allowed to do. The saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke, signifying by what death he would die. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus, and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered and said, am I, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered and said, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I would not be, should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. This kingdom of Jesus that he's talking about is a different kind of kingdom. It's not like the kingdom of this world. I don't want to be a part of the kingdom of this world. I want to be a part of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And I want to continue on into verse 37, which says this. Pilate therefore said to Jesus, Are you a king then? And Jesus answered and said, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And then I want to just continue on just a single phrase into verse 38. Pilate said to Jesus, what is truth? What is truth? That's where I want to minister from tonight on this Wednesday night, from that last phrase, that last question that Pontius Pilate posed to Jesus. What is truth? What is truth? Would you set your Bibles down and lift your hands toward heaven right now? And let's, let's, uh, let's petition the Lord right now that he would just open our eyes to the revelation of his word. In the name of Jesus, Lord, we come to you right now and we want our hearts to be supernaturally opened to what you would speak to us tonight. Lord, don't let us look at the word of God with just with just uh, our, our natural eyes, but God, give us spiritual vision and spiritual revelation for what you're going to say to us. Lord, open up our hearts not just to understand, but to receive it, God, and to have something in us that responds to it. Lord, I pray that you would do a mighty work of the Holy Ghost during the remainder of our time tonight. And Lord, we will give you all of the praise in the mighty name of Jesus. <laughs> Hallelujah. Lord, we give you praise. You may be seated. One of the things that I hear people say often that they can't stand is lying. 
Isn't it a terrible feeling when someone lies to you? When we take something that we think is correct and we run with it only to discover later that it's false. It's a terrible feeling to be lied to. And it's a worse feeling whenever you know that someone intentionally fed you false information. What are some of those feelings that we feel when someone lies to us? Someone give a name to it. Betrayal. Hurt. What's another emotion? Those are good. Upset. Disappointed. Angry. These are, these are the kind of feelings that we have frustrated. It all depends on the level of, of disinformation that we've been fed and sometimes even who, who lied to us and sometimes even what we carried on and went with that, did with that information after the fact and then maybe the position that it put us in. But anywhere from aggravation to frustration all the way up to full-blown betrayal and, uh, and hurt and pain, that's what happens whenever someone lies to us and there's no one on the face of the earth that enjoys being lie behavior. We do not look for that kind of behavior in our friends and the people we would call our friends. We, we are repulsed by that. We stay away from it at all costs. But we have a Savior who tells no lies whatsoever. Our adversary is the father of lies. All he does is tell us untruths and, and lies. But our master, Jesus Christ, says that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What you believe is true shapes who you are and what you become. And so I ask you again, in the words of Pontius Pilate tonight, what is truth? If none of us like the opposite, and all of us will affirm that what we believe is true has a profound impact on not just who you are, but actually who you become as you go forward and march forward into the future, it's a very important question to ask, what is truth? I don't have much for Pontius Pilate. I think he, he got it wrong. I think he did a lot of things that if I were in his position, I, I certainly hope that I wouldn't do. But I've got to give him this much. Pontius Pilate asked the right question here, didn't he? What is truth? And he couldn't have asked it to a better person. He asked the right question to the right person. The tragedy is that Pontius Pilate didn't wait around to get the answer. I want us to dig into the answer a little bit tonight. Is that okay? I think it's an important question. What is truth? Everyone, everyone we know, every institution we know is making an argument about something. And that's true even if you don't see them up on a platform or a stage in, in the middle of a formal debate. Every institution, every group of people, every individual we know is making an argument of some kind. So let me give you two examples that, that I think will probably resonate with us and make the point. I'll give you an example tonight of one, one example that's outside of the church, outside of the faith, and I'll give us an example of something inside of the faith that just goes to show that everything is making, an, everyone is making an argument. Here's the first example I would give to you. This is the one that's outside of the faith. Um, the transgender movement is making an argument. 
They're making an argument to us. They're making an argument to the next generation. They're making an argument in the halls of government. They're making an argument in our media. The transgender movement is making an argument. They have a stated position. And whether or not they are holding a formal debate, they are making a case, an argument for something. I, heard, I saw it online yesterday. There was a newscaster that was, that, was, that was bringing this to the forefront of his commentary. And he was pointing out the fact that this transgender movement that has seemingly taken over the airwaves in our country and is eating up all of the, all of the media time that they can possibly gobble up, that that movement is making an argument to us every time that we hear something about it, every time there's a representative or somebody that uh, would, would advocate for, for their beliefs, they're making an argument to us. And they're making an argument primarily to a younger generation of people. Does anyone disagree? Okay. All right. I guess that's kind of a sort of amen. No one disagrees. So this transgender movement is the mirror image of Christianity. It's the opposite of Christianity. The price of admission into our faith is admitting that you're not God. You can't be a Christian and think that you are God. And the reason that the transgender movement is the mirror image of what we believe is because we believe that we are not God and that there's a whole lot of things that are not in our control that we don't get to decide and that only belongs to God. And the transgender movement has the opposite view. Now, step beyond with me for the moment. Whatever feelings you have about the actual content of their argument that you don't like what they're doing because I don't like what they're doing either. I have feelings about it too. But recognize with me just for the sake of what we're talking about, what is truth? That the transgender movement is making an argument. Their ideology claims dominion over nature itself. And with no humility whatsoever, they make the argument that they can change the identity that they're born with. And Christians can never agree with that. Because we believe that those are power. Not because I'm disgusted by that. Not because I have a strong emotional response to that. But rationally, logically, my argument, my faith, my point of view says that those are things that only belong to God. Everybody that we know, every institution, every movement that influences us is making an argument. And that Christian, with that movement's point of view, enrages them. It enrages them. I heard someone say this recently, that people who believe that they are God can't stand being reminded that they're not. Correct. They can't get away, no matter, how, no matter how much they try to swim in the opposite direction, they cannot get around the fact that there is a God. Even in trying to deny him, they affirm his existence. Everyone's making an argument. And here's what we need to do, brothers and sisters. We need to be able, we need to be trained to recognize weak arguments. Their argument is not a strong argument. 
It is a weak argument. It has no basis in the facts. It has no basis in science. And it has no basis in any faith system. It's not your rejection of the lifestyle that's going to be the light of the world. I reject that lifestyle too. I don't live that lifestyle. I'm not going to live that lifestyle. And I will not affirm anyone who is. But it's not our rejection of the lifestyle that's going to win the world and be the light of the world that we're called to be. But it's your rejection of the argument that they're making that is going to, and your declaration, your clear declaration of a gospel, of Jesus' gospel, that's going to be the light of the world. Brothers and sisters, it's not enough to have an emotional response against that particular movement. I'm using them as an example because it's in our face. It's not sufficient to have an emotional response against their, what they're doing and, and that lifestyle and reject it and move on. That's not sufficient. We have, we've gone halfway and we haven't gone the full distance yet. What we must do is we must rebuttal and reject their argument and in its place declare a clear gospel. We must we must declare the gospel in its place. We must, let me say it like this, we must make our own argument. It is not enough just to reject someone else's argument. But we ourselves must state our case and be able to state our case. Not as an emotional response that I don't like that lifestyle and I don't. But as an assault against the facts that they're trying to present as facts and saying I'm going to reject the argument on its facts, and I'm going to present my own counter in its place, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the kingdom that Jesus was representing before Pilate. Let me give you another example. This one's closer to home. This one's within our own faith, largely. Romans chapter 6 tells us about a question that Paul asks rhetorically. He says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Brother A.J. Holloway, when he was here ministering to us during Spring Revival, he, he, he get, got into this topic a little bit, and, and he labeled it as cheap grace. And it's the root of the once saved, always saved doctrine. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? It's when we live like sin is okay because grace will cover it. Like sin is not a big deal because all I have to do is repent. And scripture's question to anyone that tries to adopt that particular argument, because that's what it is, is don't you understand what happened to you when you were saved? You were given a new nature. You're a new creature. You don't have to live that way anymore with grace and mercy as your fallback, but you can live in the will of God, empowered by the Holy Ghost. And so... When people fall into that particular argument and they try to make that case that I can live however I need to, I just, I'll just repent later. I'll just, you know, where, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound, and, and I'm just going to continue in sin so that I can have more grace. It's an argument that they're making. It's an argument in favor of cheap grace. And where it stems from is you don't have a clear enough revelation of what your salvation is all about. Your revelation of your salvation is too small. And it's the root of the once saved, always saved doctrine. In those two examples, we can see how 
even in Christianity at large, there's arguments being made about things that we need to reject. We need to be trained, I'll say it again, we need to be trained to recognize weak arguments. I've said that a couple times, and I want to pause and just tell you and give you the key. The greatest training that we can give ourselves, the question tonight is, what is truth? And the greatest training that we can give ourselves, and I'm speaking to individuals right now, in, in recognizing weak arguments and rejecting them and putting the gospel in its place is immersing yourself in the word of God. Immersing yourself in the, notice my word choice, immersing yourself in the word of God. So much so, this, I hope this doesn't sound sacrilegious, so much so that you think like God. Not that you have an infinite mind, but the structures and the contours of the way that you process information has been so saturated in the word of God that you think like God. Scripture calls it having the mind of Christ. How do I keep truth? in the center of my life? How do I not get led astray? Well, we're, we're still talking about the message from Sunday morning. I don't want to be a part of the kingdom of this world. I want to be a part of the kingdom of God. But how do I keep the kingdom of this world and the arguments that they're making, how do I keep them from sinking their hooks into me and into my children and into my grandchildren? How do I keep the kingdom of this world and all the falsehoods that they're arguing in our direction from digging their claws into us and dragging us away from the kingdom of God? You must immerse yourself in the word of God. You need to train yourself to see the, the arguments that are not just weak, but that are anti-Christ, that are being presented to us, that are opposite. And train yourself not just to recognize them, but how to counter them. And then your prayer life will give you the boldness to declare the gospel in their place. We must do this. And brothers and sisters, this is not accomplished by just hearing and, hearing and seeing the word of God preached and taught. In a cell, and as appropriate as what we are doing right now is, this is not the environment that you immerse yourself in the Word of God. You immerse yourself in the Word of God at your kitchen table or in your favorite chair in your living room or on your couch or when you're leaning up in bed before you slide down and go to sleep at night. When you've got the Word of God open or you're listening to it on a speaker or on your phone and you're just letting God's Word get into your system and get into your mind and start to shape your mind and form who you are and how you process information. That's the setting where we get immersed in the word of God. When we prayerfully come to the word of God and we say, God, by the power of your spirit, open up my eyes and give me understanding. Teach me your ways, God. Help me to be able to detect falsehoods when they come into my sight. You've heard it before. That one of the ways that they train people who are going to work in the financial setting to detect counterfeits, counterfeit money is they let them handle a lot of the real thing. And they get so accustomed to handling the real thing that when something that's counterfeit comes across, they immediately are able to recognize it and reject it. It's the same principle whenever we're dealing with truth. We're asking tonight, what is truth? There's a lot of things in our world today that are claiming to be truth. 
There's a lot of things in our world today that are claiming to be truth. And most of them, at least the ones that are propped up by the spirit of Antichrist, brothers and sisters, they're not competing against one another. They're completely content to say, you can be true, and 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 they all be wrong. And there's no infighting. They're letting each one of, they're letting all of the other ones stand on their own, whatever merits they have. And they're not infighting amongst each other. And it gives people, it gives people in our world today the ability to take an a la carte approach to life. And to pick and choose a little bit of this from this belief system and a little bit of this from over here and a little bit of that from this channel and a little bit of this from this account that I follow. And custom make some a la carte, personally curated belief system. And the word, the name that they'll give it is my truth. <laughs> we have to be on guard against it. We must immerse ourselves in the word of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 gives us a biblical mandate to do exactly what I'm teaching about. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I'm going to read the passage from the English Standard Version. It'll be on the screen behind me. But it says this, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 3 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. Now you're like, wait a second. That passage is about spiritual warfare. What do you think we've been talking about for the past 15 minutes? Everything that I've spoken so far and every topic and subtopic that I've addressed so far tonight, you can trace and you should trace a direct line from that to spiritual warfare. It is spiritual warfare. We're talking about two kinds of competing kingdoms. Jesus is standing in Pilate's hall and explaining to Pilate, my kingdom's not like this kingdom. My kingdom's not from here. My kingdom's a kingdom of truth. I came to declare the truth. And Pilate says, what is truth? For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. They're not carnal, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We, now listen, sometimes we stop there. Arguments. And every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. We're talking about us right now. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church. Not to, not to James back in Jerusalem who was the bishop of Jerusalem church. Not to, not to Timothy or Titus who were the, the lead uh, Christians over a particular territory. Paul is writing to the church at large. The saints of God. And he's saying we destroy arguments. And every lofty opinion that raises itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Brother Dustin, why are we parking here? Why, are we, why does it seem like we're stalled out on this particular topic for a moment? It's because false ideas are the greatest obstacles that people have to receiving and understanding the gospel. False 
ideas are what stand between you every time you try to evangelize, every time you try to witness, every time you try to explain your faith or share your faith or share a testimony or teach a Bible study or answer a question or an objection. What you're coming into contact with in those moments is false ideas. They're arguments that the kingdom of this world has implanted into the minds of people that we come into contact with. And false ideas, whatever shape they may take, whether it's another religious system, whether it's some kind of secular ideology, they are standing in the way of somebody receiving the gospel of Jesus Christ and saying, you know what I need to do? I need to be born again of the water and of the spirit. And we are waging warfare, not in our flesh, not carnally, but spiritually we are coming up against strongholds in our world. That have persuaded and convinced people of other ways of living that do not lead to life everlasting. There is a wide road that leads to destruction. And there is a narrow road that leads to salvation and few there be that find it. False ideas and believing false ideas are what keeps people bound. Keeps people bound. Whether it's a religious system or a secular ideology or maybe it's something just going on in their life. Let me give you an example. Someone saying, I can't change. That's a false belief. That came from somewhere. They'll say, I can't change. We have to be able to say, you know what? In Christ, you can. Someone might say, God made a mistake on me. We've got to remind him, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. You're made in the image of God. There's hope for you. Someone might say, you know, there's no way that I could ever, I'm not going to ever be able to have a healthy relationship. And we've got to be able to say, we've got to be immersed in the word of God enough to say in that moment, you know what, I know your relationships are failing. I know that things don't look good in your life right now. I know you don't look into the future and see a lot of hope for your relationships. But let me tell you about a God who will not only give you an experience, but there's this thing called the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit will start to produce itself in your life. And all of a sudden, your character, your character, not the character of the people that you're in a relationship, but your character will start to be redeemed. But people walk around with those ideas. I can't change. I'm too broken. God made a mistake on me. I'll never be able to have a healthy relationship. What is truth? Can I tell you an even more subtle opponent to truth? It's sincerity. Sincerity can stand in the way sometimes of truth. There's this quotation that I found not long ago. And uh, I wanted to share it with you, and I, I, I couldn't find a way to say it any better. And it's, it's on the screen, but I'll read it just so we don't get lost. But I wanted to share it with you. It was so well said. This person said, today, sincerity is often the sole test that is applied. It alone counts. And if a man can be proved sincere in his views, nothing more is demanded. The rightness or wrongness of the view is not considered. Indeed, it is regarded as being an irrelevance. To ask anyone a question about the truth of a statement is considered almost a sacrilege, a sign of a legal 
quarrelsome mind and spirit. The reply to all comments and queries that the man is, is, is that the man is honest and sincere in his views. Sincerity today is the supreme test. The, ad, the adversary in the Antichrist spirit is telling men and women that they're out of order to demand scrutiny of ideas that are presented to them. That to question the fact that, and I'll go back to the example earlier because it is the most in our face current topic today. To question somebody's gender identity or what they feel their gender identity is, is considered very offensive, sacrilege, hateful, and we are told that those things are beyond scrutiny because those people are sincere in their views and so the truth or falsehood of their statements cannot be looked upon seriously. We have to take it for what it is. Satan is sowing an atmosphere in our world, and he has already done it, and he is continuing to do it. It is the Antichrist spirit, and he is, he is putting in people a fear to question, to demand scrutiny for any thing that's presented to them. Pilate asked the question. Let's go back to the question for a moment. What is truth? What is truth? And Satan is trying to, conv he's trying to create an environment in our world where it is impossible and even offensive to ask that question, what is truth? Because to ask that question would be almost to call into doubt what someone says their truth is. Do you understand what I'm saying? And Satan is doing this by promoting a value in our world today called unquestionable sincerity. When somebody is sincere, even though they may be sincerely wrong, when they are sincere, they are beyond question. You cannot question it. You cannot call it into scrutiny. You are not allowed to do any of those things. And these, what I just described to you, these are the handcuffs of the adversary's bondage that he is keeping people in today. These are the handcuffs that are keeping people in bondage today. It's damaging individuals. It's destroying families. It's indoctrinating children. It's causing adults to live far below their calling and their design. And apostolic Christians like you and I need to be at war with the adversary over truth. Truth still matters. And it still matters to know what truth is and to be able to speak for truth. And to be able to reject things that are not true. What's the answer to the dilemma that's facing our world today? What can we offer into this atmosphere that is in our world? First thing we need to do is we need to be praying. We need to be praying that God would do what it seems only he can do. And to set people's minds free from the bondage that they're in. And from the ideas of this world. And the second thing we need to do is we need to have a knowledge of the truth. We need to have a knowledge of the truth. I hope that there's something stirring in you right now that's wanting you to get back into your Bible, that's wanting you to dig deeper than you ever have, that's, that's causing you to desire, to desire to immerse yourself in the Word of God like you never have 
before. Because a knowledge of the truth will galvanize your faith. A knowledge of the truth will equip your witness. It's a tool for evangelism and ministering to those who are unpersuaded and unconvinced. If you have a sound and persuasive case for Christianity, if you're able to, if you've been immersed in the word of God, and not with eloquent words of man's wisdom, but with just sincerity and honesty and a knowledge of the truth, if you are able to communicate the truth that Pilate was seeking after, the truth of the kingdom of God, the truth of God's word, if you're able to present an argument, if you're able to present the facts about what Jesus came to do and what his design is for the world today. You don't have to become an expert in every other ideology that's out there in the world. Because when you can positively and clearly state the message of the Bible and the heartbeat of God to somebody that you're speaking to, it overwhelms all the competing ideologies. It stands against whatever facts that might be presented as facts. When you go to the Word of God and you're able to go line by line and you're able to present the truth of God's Word to somebody in a loving and compassionate and honest way, it overwhelms any other opponents that might try to stand against it there's nothing that can stand against the word of God there's nothing that can stand against the truth of God's word truth is a hot button issue today you can go to Romans chapter 1 and you can see that it's a big part of where why we are in the place that we're at today Romans chapter 1 tells us that there's a downward spiral that's happening in our world and things are indeed becoming more and more wicked as the days go on. But Romans chapter uh, 1 verse 24 says that God gave them over. God gave them over to uncleanness and the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie. And worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. It's curious and we need to understand and, and notice something. It says that they exchanged the truth of God for the lie. Not a lie. Not just any old lie. But they exchanged the truth of God for the lie. The lie. Do you want to know what? The, people are still believing the lie today. You want to know what the lie is? God. It says it at the end of verse 25. They started worshiping the creature rather than the creator. That's the lie. That's the lie that the ad, that is the root lie that the adversary would like to convince people in the world about. And, and exchange the truth of God for the lie. The lie that there's any object, any person, anything in this universe that is worthy of worship other than God. I bring this up because it is the single greatest, it is the root cause of every assault that the adversary is making on truth today the movements that are at work in our secular world today have this as their root cause they're elevating the creature over the creator and satan is still convincing and persuading people to exchange the truth of god for the lie this is a last days topic brothers and sisters 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 is a passage about the end times. And this very same thing appears again. And I don't think it's an accident. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 
says this in verse 3. Let no one deceive you by any means. Now, we're, there's that word deceive. So we're talking about truth. We're talking about truth or false. For that day will not come, the day of judgment, will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes, opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God. That's the lie. Creature over creator. Or that is worshipped. So that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Skipping ahead to verse 10, it goes on and says, And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this reason, what reason? They didn't receive the love of the truth. God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. Not just a lie. The lie. That they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. The musicians would come. This is the lie that's running rampant in our world today. It is the lie of all lies. It is the lie of the adversary that existed in the garden. It is the lie of the adversary that even prompted his own fall from grace before our timeline even began. It is the lie that something that it was created would, should be elevated above the creator. That our preferences and our opinions and our ways of doing things should somehow be elevated and worshipped above the ideas of God and the truth of God. I said earlier that we need a knowledge of the truth. And as, as fervently as I believe that we need to immerse ourselves in the Word of God, that we need to become so familiar with the Word of God that we think like God, that we have the mind of Christ, that we start to know how God would respond in a certain situation because we've spent time in his presence with our Bibles open, learning and knowing, communing with him, hearing his voice. I want to drill even yet a layer deeper. We don't just need a knowledge of the truth, but 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 says we need a love of the truth can't allow anything to dilute it. I can't allow anything to compromise it. I have to protect it. I have to guard it in my life. You've heard the distinction made over and over that the Bible doesn't say that money is the root of all evil. What's it say? The love of money is the root of all evil. I've got another one for us catch this distinction it's not the knowledge of the truth that leads to salvation but 2nd Thessalonians says they didn't receive the love of the truth that they might be saved the love of the truth not just a passing knowledge of it not just an intellectual or academic understanding of it but a love for the truth of God's word stand with me tonight I want to go back to that pilot's hall for just a moment we aren't given enough information in 
John chapter 18. We don't know if Pontius Pilate, when he asked that question, we don't know if Pilate was being reflective in that moment and and really wondering, Brother Walker, what is true. Or whether Pilate was being sarcastic and snarky and mean-spirited. We really don't know. We can't read tone into the text of Scripture. We can only see Pilate's actions, and his actions seem to indicate to me that this question of his, what is truth, was probably asked with a sarcastic and snarky type of tone and disposition. Because tragically, when Pilate asked that question, he asked that question, what a good question, what is truth? And he asked it to the right person, the perfect person, the only person who could actually, truly, completely answer it. The only person who could actually say, I am truth. He was standing right there in the room with him. But Pilate waved it off and dismissed it and marched Jesus back out into the open for the Jewish authorities. I don't think Pilate knew how close he was. I think if he had known how close he was to receiving a life-changing answer, I think he would have done something different. And I think there's many in our community today, if I can just bring it home, I think there's many in our community today, people we come into contact with all the time, who are so close, hungry to know if there really is a God. And if there is a God, hungry to know who He is and what kind of God He is. We need a revival of truth-tellers. Truth-tellers. Not not chest-thumping maniacs who, who are obnoxious and rude and have to say the hard truth just to be sensational. But Bible study teaching, testimony sharing, truth-telling saints of God. We need a revival of it, brothers and sisters. Our world is just completely destitute of truth. They're searching for truth. And as we look around at our world today, and it'd be easy to wring our hands and to look at the condition and to look at what a mess it is, we need to see it for what it is. It is an entire world crying out for something that's real. It's an entire world crying out for truth. There's Bible studies that happen in this church every week. I get text messages, I get phone calls. There's things that are happening, and it brings, I don't know that there's anything that brings me more joy than whenever I get a phone call or a text message that's just an update. Hey, we had our Bible study today. Hey, I was able to testify to someone today. Hey, it went great. Here's what we talked about. It went great. The Holy Ghost was there. There was just a, 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 just a, a, a spirit 
of, of God that, that came over us and we just had a wonderful time in the Lord together and we left encouraged and I feel like they're getting close to being ready to take their next, an, another step. Their, their, their eyes are being opened to a revelation of truth. Brothers and sisters, that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. And there's people in our life that are so close. They're so close. Here's what I want to do tonight. In this month of March, at the very beginning of the month, we all, we all committed to one person that we were going to be praying over, that we were going to be trying to reach. And it's still March. We've got a couple days left. And here's what I want us to do. Before we leave tonight, I want to make a call for everyone to come to the front. And I want us to pray for boldness. Because if you haven't been able to make a move and to have a conversation or to do something that the Holy Ghost has been prompting you to do this month as you pray over that one person, we need an infusion of the boldness of God's Spirit. We need the boldness. I know. I know. I know. We need the boldness of the Holy Ghost to help us. We need an infusion of boldness in our midst today because the word is, world is crying out for people that will tell the truth because they're asking that question. What is truth? Can we come up around the front right now? These altars are open right now. And can we lift up our hands as we come? And maybe you want to find a place to kneel in prayer. But I think we need to petition the Lord tonight and say, God, I need you to do a work in my heart because I need boldness in my life. I need the words to say. I need to know exactly what you would have me to do. Why don't you call out the name of that one person that you've been praying over for the month of March? Our theme this year, we've talked about it a lot, is one at a time. We've asked that question, is one enough? I think one is enough to pause on a Wednesday night, call out their name in prayer, pray over some things that might be happening in their life that you're aware of, and say, God, I need an open door. I need an open door, God, into their life. I want to do it in these next two days. I want to do it here before the end of this week. I want... God, I want an opportunity to share the gospel into their life. I want an opportunity to open up a Bible study with them. God, I want them to be able to come to me and feel at liberty and have the freedom to say, you know what, I know you're a church-going person. Would you let me come with you this weekend? I'm looking for a church. I'm needing a move of God in my life. Come on, do that right now. Come on, call out that name in prayer right now. It's a loved one, it's a neighbor, it's someone you care about deeply. The Holy Ghost knows all about it. And they're asking, what is true? They might be so close, brother and sister. We don't know how close they might be. We don't know how close they are. We need boldness. We need boldness in the Holy Ghost.